Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Uh, if you're following along the Pew Bibles, that'll be pages 658 and 59. Again, that's Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Robert Louis Stevenson was born in the late 1800s. He was a Scottish novelist, and he entered into his diary one particular day. I went to church this morning, and surprisingly, I've come home and not depressed. You know, that probably describes a lot of people as they think about a relationship with God. If I'm going to be close to God, I'm going to have to give up the things that bring happiness in my life. If I'm going to be close to God, I'm going to have to sacrifice so much that I could never, never find true joy or happiness. If I'm going to be a religious person, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'll never know all the joy that the world will know. You may remember that it seems just like yesterday, but it was in January that we kicked off this theme for 2007. The joy of the Lord shall be my strength. You remember Nehemiah referred to that. It was a time after the wall was built back and you would think, oh, they'll be celebrating. Everything will be great. But you see, as they began to study the scriptures in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, it was revealed to them how far they had moved away from God. And in their time of sorrow because of their present and past sins, it was then that Nehemiah urged them to believe that the joy of the Lord could be their strength. In other words, God has never designed for Christianity to be a life that is dreadful. A life that brings constant depression. A life that sees only the problems and the obstacles. God has designed Christianity to be that which brings true peace. We'll talk about that quite a bit tonight. And joy. A joy that cannot be found and defined by us, but it is the joy of the Lord. It is the joy that God gives. In the text that was so capably read for us, we're reminded of Isaiah, even as Jesus refers to him in John the 12th chapter. In John the 12th chapter in verse 41, notice what Jesus said about Isaiah. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah was a messianic writer. He dreamt of the day that the Messiah would come to earth and he would do his wonderful works. 
in the text that has been so capably read, we see that that was out of the 61st chapter. But if you drop back to the 20th verse of the 59th chapter, you see a writing that begins with an emphasis on the Messiah. The 60th chapter, some refer to as some of the greatest prophetic writings of the Messiah ever. This brings us to the 61st chapter. The 61st chapter, these first three verses reveal much about why Jesus came to this earth. As we think about this lesson this morning, really out of just three verses, I'd like for you to consider with me as we think about this morning, who said it? To whom was he writing? What was promised in this writing? And when those promises were fulfilled, what was the result of those writings? In this, we're going to learn a lot about the Messiah. We're going to learn a lot about ourselves, And it'll be summed up in this. The Lord came to this earth to bring joy into our life. And if I haven't found the joy of Christianity, I need to find it this morning. Or if I have tried a version of Christianity, but yet I have not known joy in it, I haven't learned true Christianity. Because it should be that those of us that are faithful Christians have the happiest, most joyful, peaceful life of anybody that's on earth today. Let's go to that first question as we go back to verse 1. If you have your Bibles, it's page 658 in your pew Bibles. We're going to read verse 1 of the 61st chapter again as we ask this question, who gave the word? Did you notice as you look down there, he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because of the Lord He has anointed me. Now notice this, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our Lord. Who's saying this? This is Jesus. And someone says, now, are you sure it's Jesus? This removes all doubt. Luke, the fourth chapter, Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth as he entered into the synagogues. The leader of the synagogue handed him a scroll of Isaiah and asked him to conduct the scripture reading of that day. The scriptures tells us that he searched through Isaiah until he found this passage. And he read this passage, he folded it back up, and he handed it to him, and he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. That's amazing, isn't it? Here it was prophesied hundreds, about seven to eight hundred years before. Jesus was asked to do a scripture reading. He reads this and then says, that was talking about me. And if you watch me live you're going to see that I have fulfilled all of the things that the Messiah has come to fulfill. Well, what did the Messiah come to do? Number one, He came to preach. He came to preach glad tidings. We have little boys that grow up in homes where mamas and daddies especially urge them to be a Michael Jordan. We have some that grow up in big homes and they're urged to be another Donald Trump. But think of the thousands of homes across the world today where mamas and daddies are urging their sons to be like Jesus, be preachers. That's where happiness is found. That's where joy is found. Whenever our children from a young age, Jesus Christ is held up before them and said, be like Him. Find a life like His. He came to this earth to preach and He came to preach glad tidings Friends, when we think of what preaching Jesus does, 
It reveals sin. But you know what? If it stopped right there, there would not be gladness to those tidings. He preaches and reveals sin, but he always gives a solution for sin. And what a wonderful thing is when Jesus is preached. Notice also here we see that he preaches those glad tidings to the poor. When we think about Jesus being preached touches everyone, whether it was rich or poor. When Jesus is preached, it reaches everyone, whether it's the old or the young. When Jesus is preached, it reaches those that are spiritually young as well as those that are spiritually mature. You know what I've found in my few years of preaching that just stands out to me as, as just it reinforces the power of the Word of God. I've noticed that preaching textual sermons, how often individuals will say something like this, you must be peeking in my window because you seem to say something every week that affects something that took place in my life just this past week. You know what? That's not the power of a man. That's the power of preaching Jesus. When we preach Jesus, we touch lives right where they are every time. Now notice also he said, I not only came to be a preacher, but he said, I came to be a physician. You see there it says, to heal the brokenhearted. Now I like this because he prefaces that by saying that he was sent, that he sent him to heal the brokenhearted. God sent Jesus to heal broken hearts. You ever had a best friend that their heart was just ripped open and you wanted so much to mend or heal their heart and you know what? Men and women can't heal men and women's hearts. Sometimes we expect too much out of each other. Sometimes we expect a spouse to make us heal. We expect a child or a parent to make us heal. We expect a good friend. If you're really the friend you ought to be, you're going to figure out what to say to make me heal. And you know what? We can't heal each other. We can serve each other, but we can turn to one who can heal us. And it's a great physician. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how our physical body can be healed. You know, just this past week, uh, I had the uh, experience of passing right by an emergency room opening. And uh, 14 years ago, I was in that emergency room. Uh, my, My son and daughter got into a knife fight. And Colton was about three years old, and and he had gotten my knife off where I keep my wallet, and he had opened it up, and Lacey was was just a little over a year old, so when he opened it, she grabbed for it, and he knew that they weren't supposed to be playing with the knife, so when she grabbed for it, he said, no, Lacey. And as he snapped back, she was grabbing the blade and just sliced that little baby fat right open. We went to that emergency room and she was kicking and screaming so much they put her, I don't know what you call that thing, it's like a little straight jacket for kids. And they wrapped her up in that little straight jacket and, and it took about four of us even then to hold her down. And, and the doctor kind of had a nurse laying across her arm and they sewed up her hand. Isn't it amazing how deep a cut can be? But then a few months later, it's healed. It's well. It's functional. The pain is not there. The injury is not there. 
it's healed. Isn't it wonderful to know that when my heart is breaking so desperately, there's one who can heal that pain. Just like you and I cannot make an injury heal. We can serve each other and and we can do what we can do, but we can't make it heal. That's the way God has designed us. It's God that gives us healing. It's God who gives us healing spiritually and especially in broken hearts. Friends, no matter what my pain is today, especially if it's spiritual, I must turn to the great physician. But notice a third thing. He was a liberator. He was the one that was going to set free those that were in bondage. The bondage of sin. Remember what he said in Matthew 11, chapter, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The rest that's spoken there is talking about freedom. It's not talking about a lazy boy and, and watching football this afternoon. The rest that he's talking there is when someone is in bondage and they are enslaved and they are driven by a taskmaster, he's saying, come to the Lord. The Lord's the one that can take the shackles off. The Lord is a master who will love you and serve you and better your life. The fourth thing that he says, he says that he is one that has come to herald some news. Now notice, this news is not all good news. One thing he's going to proclaim, and he's going to herald out the news that there is a day, or there is a year of the Lord. The year of the Lord is a beautiful thought. That's when Jesus will come back again, and that's when he'll say to all of those that have submitted their life to him, they've made him Lord of their life, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's going to deliver those individuals up to the Father in heaven. That's why Matthew, the 25th chapter, he looks to those that are on the right side that are there in the, the year of the Lord, and he says to them, you're blessed of my Father. But then for those that are not the blessed of the Father, they'll be on the left side, and here he's going to herald out to them that it's the day of vengeance. Hebrews, the 10th chapter and 31, tells us that's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The teaching there, and looking at that in the whole paragraph in Hebrews 10, what he's saying is for those that have not lived for the Lord, that heralding out there is bad news. But isn't it wonderful? Jesus has come to redeem us from that, to deliver us from that. He's come to preach a better way of life. He's come to heal those that are broken. He's come to say, let me set you free so you can enjoy living. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, John 10 and 10. Jesus has come to offer us better things. And he says, I've come to herald good news. What's the good news? That's who said it, is Jesus. But who was he talking to? Notice at the very end of the second verse and at the beginning of verse 3, we see who he's talking to. He's talking to those to comfort all who mourn and going into verse 3 to console those who mourn in Zion. Just because you and I become Christians doesn't mean that we do not have losses and sadness. We do not have times of depression. It does not mean that we do not have difficult days. It means this. The joy we experience is because we have a Lord that can bring joy, that is always willing to come to us and to serve us even in the difficult days. 
Isaiah is writing here, this masterful piece about the Messiah and the church that is to come. And he's saying, all of you that are in Zion, that are mourning, that great preacher, that great physician, that great liberator, that great herald, he's coming. He's coming to bring us hope. He's coming to make things better. Instead of putting it in my words or our words, let's look at verse 3 there and see what was he coming to do. And we see the promises that he gives there. Notice we have them bulleted there, but that's, that's the exact verse there. We just put bullet points out beside three things in, in quoting the verse there. There's, there's three things, three aspects of the promise that the Lord is to bring to those who are grieving, to those that are in the depths of despair. Notice number one, he said to give beauty for ashes. In the Hebrew culture, they would take ashes and they would spread them on their forehead as a sign of mourning. Now friends, I I know that that may sound really far out to some of us, but please keep in mind, we as U.S. Americans... We tend to grieve in a different way than many cultures and societies previous to us have grieved. I'm not so certain the way we approach grief is all that healthy, but that's the way we grieve. And so sometimes we read and we study of other cultures in their grief and we don't fully understand it because we haven't seen anything like it. If someone that's had a tremendous loss in their life today came up to you and their clothes were torn and they had been sitting in ashes, and they had part of those ashes raked across their head? Let's ask this question. Were they trying to hide their grief? No. In that culture, in that society, you didn't hide your pain. You you experienced it, and you expressed it for weeks and months. It was the idea of facing your grief and not running from it. It was the idea of revealing it and not masking it. And I really don't know if the way we handle it today is the best for us. But that's a whole other discussion. But keep that in mind as we try to understand this text. To understand this text, we have to see how they grieved. So imagine, here's someone that is in genuine grief and it would have been very acceptable for them to have ashes on their forehead and Jesus is coming and He's saying, when I come, I'm going to wash that off your forehead and I'm going to give you a headdress. In other words, I'm going to give you a diadem. I'm going to give you a crown. I'm going to give you something that's beautiful. Notice the second thing that He says. At the beginning of the year, of this year, when I did a search of every passage in the Bible that speaks of the joy relating to the Lord, this stood out as so interesting to me of the way joy and its relationship with the Lord was used together. Those that mourn might have been sitting in rent clothing and the ashes with that on their head, And the Lord says, I want to come and I want to do something else. I want to give you the oil of joy for mourning. In other words, instead of concentrating on your mourning, I want to relieve that mourning. I want to give you something greater. I want to give you what we sometimes would call in the Scriptures anointing. You remember when David was chosen 
to be king. The little boy was brought before. And can you imagine how joyful it was for him to be anointed? Or do you remember in Luke the 7th chapter, whenever the woman who wanted something better for her life, and she finds Jesus, and Jesus is in the Pharisee's home, and Jesus is there reclining, and she comes up behind Jesus, and she takes an expensive alabaster box of, of oil, oil and ointment, and she begins to pour it, not on his head, but on his feet. And she takes that oil, and she rubs it in his feet, and she cries over his feet to wash the mud off, and she takes her hair, and she dries it. And it's there that Jesus teaches a lesson about how much she loved him. And then it's there that he says her sins are forgiven. And then she's told, your faith has made you whole. Friends, that oil there was all about good things. She put that oil on Jesus because it was a great event, not because it was an event of mourning. Usually the expensive Oil was brought out at a time to recognize someone for a great achievement. To recognize someone is a wonderful honor. The Lord says, I want to come to those that are grieving. And I want to bring out an oil of joy. I want to recognize them. I want to honor them. I want to bring them up. I want to lift them up. But notice this third thing. He also says, I want to put on them garments of praise. We've already mentioned the fact that sometime in grief, literally the clothing would be rent. Sometime would literally be stripped. And the Lord says, I want to pick you up. I want to clean you up. I want to put the ointment on you. You're going to smell good. And I'm going to wrap garments around you that now you can praise God. You can sing again instead of having a crushed heart. You can see something positive again instead of only seeing the obstacles and the pain. You can have hope again, instead of feeling like you're at the very end of your rope. Friends, we must serve each other, and we must love each other. But what Jesus offers to you and I, we literally can't offer it to each other. That's why you and I find the greatest joy that there is to be found only in Jesus. But now what is the result of all of this? Notice those last two phrases of that very same verse as we look at the result. The result is they'll be called trees of righteousness. And this Hebrew word here, tree, literally means strong. Some translations probably even translate this will be called oaks of righteousness. For example, if you know much about wood, you know that pine is a much softer and weaker wood versus oak, which is strong and sturdy. And he says they're going to be called oaks of righteousness. Now, please let this sink in. We're, we're about to bring this to a close here, but, but help me as we round it up. Think about this. Jesus is the one who came to say it. He was the preacher, the physician, etc. Who was he saying it to? He was saying it to those that are mourning. Those that were in sorrow, they felt like their life was being overcome. What was he saying? He was saying, I can bring joy at that time that you feel despair. Now, what's the result going to be? Other people are going to see that person that's gone through so much, and he's going to see them praising God. He's going to see them living a life of hope, and they're going to be called... Look at that strong person of righteousness, tree of righteousness. 
They're called that. They're described that by other people. It's not this person in sorrow that's comforted by Jesus that says, I want people to know of me as a strong person of righteousness. That's not what he's saying. He's saying other people are going to see it and call them a tree of righteousness. Do you deal with your life in such a way that you stand strong in righteousness even when the chips are down? Even when things have been painful, even when others have mistreated you, even when the temptations are great, even when the obstacles are high, can we say, that's what I want to be. I want to be that tree of righteousness. Why? Now notice the last bullet there. In the text, it's not for us. It's so that we have been planted by Jesus and He will receive the glory. A joyous Lord. If we were to sum this up in a sentence, it might be like this, as we think about He has made me glad. When we see the beauty of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and the praise of Jesus, each of those three coming from the things He promised, we know that the Lord has planted it. The joy of the Lord shall be my strength. Friends, Jesus can do tremendous things for us if we'll just fully submit our life to Him. As we close this morning, I want you to think of someone in your mind that you think is a spiritual giant. Maybe it's someone that's not alive today. Maybe it's someone back in the Scriptures. Maybe it's someone that lived a few hundred years ago. Maybe it's someone that lived a few decades ago. Maybe it is someone alive today. But I want you to think of someone who you think is a spiritual giant. How did they become that? They did not become a spiritual giant because they focused on themselves. They became a spiritual giant because they surrendered themselves, focusing wholly upon God. That's what brings great joy in our life. is when our life is all about God and not about us. And the more we surrender the greater we grow spiritually. The more we surrender, the greater we grow spiritually. That's where the joy of the Lord is found. If you've never become a child of God, you're missing out on the greatest life, a life that brings eternal joy, a life that gives us much in which to rejoice about on this earth. If you've never been baptized into Christ, I ask you, are you a believer? willing to repent of sins and confess before men. Won't you be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins? If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the focus, you've lost the promises that the Lord has to offer, you've lost the Lord, won't you come back to Him this morning? None of us here are perfect, but all of us can be forgiven and have those promises. If you need to repent and confess sins, if we can help you in any way,